Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. The podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We just want to encourage you to do it. We are three friends that came from across the political spectrum who were tired of partisan politics and were alarmed at what we saw happening in our country, including the growing political divide. But we found as we challenged ourselves to recognize our own biases, to put them aside, we were absolutely united in our pursuit for the truth. And that's why we started this podcast to share the conversations we were having around that pursuit and to invite you into our conversation. To encourage you to feel free to ask questions. Search for the answers yourself to say what you think. That's right, because as we like to say, diversity of thought, ideas, and beliefs are welcome here. Asshats are not. (laughs) (laughs) All are welcome as long as you just think. This is our first episode of the year, and I could not be more excited to introduce you to our guest, someone that I've been wanting to have on our show since the beginning, and I can't wait for you to meet him. But first of all, this is Holly. And Amy. And Kristen. And today we have with us Dr. Paul Thomas. He's an MD. Some of you listeners I know will know exactly who Paul Thomas is, but this pediatrician living on the West Coast had no idea that years ago when I had gut checks about the current vaccine schedule and the whole vaccine program for our children, when my sister started asking questions and causing me and the rest of our family to ask questions, when all of that was happening, Dr. Paul Thomas has could have had no idea that his evidence from his very own practice was going to give me the courage to continue to speak out and to say no and to take back the autonomy I've been given over my children and their bodies and their health. Now, we're going to put some caveats out there. The world right now wants to call someone like me who questions an anti-vaxxer, and that's on purpose. That is absolutely to make you, the listener, stop listening. It causes you, perhaps, not all of us, but some of you, it will say, oh, that's somebody who believes X, Y, and Z. I want to begin by saying Amy, Kristen, and I, we have a myriad of ideas, opinions, and thoughts. And in fact, we created this podcast so people could share them. And then we say diversity of thoughts and ideas are welcome, asshats or not. So if you're a jerk, <laughs> you're a jerk about your opinions, That's not what we're trying to do here, but we want to have honest conversation about facts, the science, as we know, science evolves and we discover more and more as we grow. That's the goal, right? But I want to just start this whole conversation today by saying, if you listen to this episode or if you're even getting ready to, and you say, oh, those are anti-vaxxers, you are not correct because we are not anti Most things, we are pro-truth. And what we're trying to do today, what we want to invite you, pro-truth, right? We want to invite you into the conversation to where you can learn for yourself. We want to point you to resources. We want to point you to data. We want you to point you to science because I am not getting paid to have this conversation. Neither is Kristen and Amy or Dr. Thomas. In fact, it's cost him everything to tell you what some of the things he's gonna share with you. Not everything, but it's cost him a lot. It's cost him a a lot of things and he's gonna share more about that today. So now that we got that out of the way, 
Join us as we dive in. Dr. Thomas, thank you for being with us. We would love for you to tell our audience your story, how you began as a doctor and kind of what's brought you to this moment today. Oh, thanks, Holly and uh, Amy and Kristen. It's what a privilege it is to be with you in your living rooms here for Just Think. I want a t-shirt like that too. Yeah, we're gonna um, get one. <laughs> all right, all right. So you make a really good point about how name calling is used to try to silence the dialogue. Um, none of us sitting here clearly started off anti-vaccine and I don't even like the term, right? We were all parents. In fact, my first wake up was right around the time I was having kids, which was, you know, way back then. <laughs> my uh, oldest son was born in 87. And so my youngest was born in 96. And it was right after that youngest one, my older ones were starting to be yeah, a little, you might say ADD, ADHD, everything wasn't quite right. But then my youngest son, for four years, that darling little boy sat there and lined cars up. I mean, he just, he was sweet. He was adorable. Uh, he had language. He had social. So he wasn't the classic autism or anything like that. But nobody was home. I mean, the lights were not on. Uh, poor guy. He knows. Uh, he's <laughs> since, by the way, uh, graduated from college. He's got an incredible job. He's married. He's about to have a kid. That's, awesome. scary. That's scary, by the way. You can go there, you can go there eventually. Um <laughs> But that was my first sort of, huh, what's going on? That and actually Andy Wakefield's article that was published right around 1998, 99. And uh, it was just a simple case series where he posed the question, might the MMR be linked with some of these cases of autism that we were seeing? And I'm at that point, okay, go back to my background. Born in Africa, raised by missionaries. Uh, I was raised to question, right? Question authority. Uh, don't don't, um, when you see something that's wrong, you do something about it. Because if you don't, then you're a part of the process that's exactly. wronging others. That's how I was raised. And so then I end up at Dartmouth Medical School. I become a pediatrician. I'm board certified. I'm teaching residents and medical students. I mean, I went through the program, right? I did not realize I was being programmed. Uh, <laughs> But I mean, I went through it and I was teaching it. I mean, I was all in on vaccines are the best thing we can do as a pediatrician to protect your child's health. I would even use the term 20, 30 years ago, vaccines are safe and effective. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, you still hear doctors saying that when clearly the opposite is true. But that is a marketing slogan. And folks, if you, it's almost like grandma's apple pie. I mean, vaccines are up there. We hold them as this very, very sacred thing. Mm -hmm. And we should not question grandma's apple pie or vaccines because everybody knows, right? And so I think we all started there. And at some point we wake up or we start questioning. We go, hmm, this isn't making sense. So my first wake up call was reading Andy Wakefield's article, which I didn't read till 2000. Uh, and then I started pursuing the whole, because I'm seeing at that point in my own practice, I had a very busy pediatric practice. I'm starting to see more and more chronic problems. Uh, you know, the severe autism cases I hadn't seen until 2004, but I was seeing more and more ADD, ADHD, anxiety, uh, neurodevelopmental issues that were subtle. I would call them glitches. Ah, your kid's just got a glitch because 
labels, what doctors are taught to do is label and treat, right? Diagnose and treat. And it's always, you know, in the old days before computers, it was the old uh, prescription pad. I mean, I had one in my pocket. I would just whip it out and bam. And, and I could see 50, sometimes almost 60 patients a day. And most of those kids back then had ear infections and strep throats and, you know, various infections and, and so antibiotics, right? That's what we were taught to use. I was clueless to the fact that there's a thing called a natural immune system. And if you support and, and boost your natural immune system, you don't even get sick. Oh my goodness. That was, oh, what? <laughs> yeah, that's, those words could not be spoken from an MD pediatrician back in the day. Um, but fast forward to 2004, five, six, and seven, each of those years, I had a normal, healthy, making eye contact, starting to make words, or even starting to talk one-year-old who by age two had regressed into severe nonverbal, you know, slapping my head, spinning, flapping autism. So the first time I saw this, I thought, oh, so that's what they're talking about. I had never seen a case in my practice. It was relatively rare back then in the early 2000s. And then the next year I saw another case. I thought, oh, this is weird. I've gone through, I mean, I graduated in 85 and we're talking 2005. So I'd gone through 20 years of pediatrics basically and never seen a case of severe autism. Now I saw two in two years. Coincidence again, I guess. It just felt weird though. And shame on me, it took two more cases. 2006 and 2007, the same thing happened again. These were actual patients of mine. So when I was in medical school, they taught us about something called iatrogenic, meaning caused by us, the doctor. Something we did caused harm. And I just felt in my gut that there's something we were doing that was causing this harm. Mm. And But I, I, I was suspicious at this point that vaccines had something to do with it, but there was no data back then. That, that really you could put your hands on to say, yeah, there's here's clear proof, right? They have had not done any vaxxed, unvaxxed studies. They didn't exist. In fact, vaccine trials, I, I, you ladies know, uh, you've, been at, you've been at this for over a year and, and well longer because of you know, your own research, but this show, um, all the vaccine trials are rigged. Okay, they, they, they truly are. It's, it's science, yeah, tobacco junk science, right? Uh, you, you don't use a proper placebo, meaning it should just be, you're giving a shot of something, the placebo should be saline. So something that is, yes, it's a shot, so you don't know what you're getting, but it's just salt water. Our body can handle salt water like it's nothing. There are basically no full placebo-controlled trials ever on any vaccine. They added a tiny little arm of placebo saline on one little group of the HPV vaccine so they could say, yes, we used saline as a placebo. That was this minuscule little part of the big study. So a lot of trickery involved. They also make the trials very, very short, so they will never find later long-term effects and side effects, right? Vaccines have two things. They have side effects, and they also have effects. I think we get all mixed up. I used to call it vaccine injury. And then um, my partner, Didi Hoover, who you guys have to get on your show, by the way, but she said, well, it's not. <laughs> yeah, she, she's an amazing individual who does coaching at such an incredible level that the world needs to hear more of her. Uh, we started a Kids First Forever program that we 
can talk about later. But definitely want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, it's a place you can go. But anyway, back to vaccine effects and trials, they don't pick up all the long-term effects. So even if vaccines were part of the problem, let's just say for this big elephant in the room, autism and neurodevelopmental problems, those things happen so late that nobody makes the connection. Mm-hmm. So unless you have a long-term study looking at all outcomes, here's the other thing, vaccine trials handpick what they're going to look at and they will handpick things that don't matter. Like uh, what's the change in the weight of the baby? Well, that has nothing to do with vaccines. That has to do with how you're feeding that baby. Uh, I mean, unless there's severe damage from the vaccine. So they'll pick things that don't matter. So that was the situation I found myself in after I saw four cases of severe autism year after year after year. And that final straw was like, I can't do this. I cannot do business as usual. Went to my partners. We had four other pediatricians. I said, I can't give hepatitis B vaccine to newborns. It makes no sense. Okay. If you want to have a discussion about vaccines with somebody, start there. Because Mm -hmm. I don't understand how come other pediatricians have abandoned critical thinking. Because Mm -hmm. I remember... (laughs) Polly's <laughs> going, yeah. I mean, really? I know. It's crazy. I mean, it's for the people in the back. Where is the critical thinking? And what's so crazy, Dr. Thomas, is we have this culture of trust your doctor, trust your doctor, your doctor's God, and you have no clue what you're talking about. So we defer our critical thinking to the doctor who is not thinking, right? Yes, yes. So they've been, and they've, they've been pampered, not pampered, but, you know, to get, or they're so used to saying CDC says, CDC says. Right. So if they go say that, then you're like, oh, okay. But they're not actually looking and thinking. Well, we were, we were yeah. all moms in that hospital bed and they come in and say, all right, it's time for the, hep- it's time for the hepatitis. Yes. Yeah. And we're like, okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. just do it because you're supposed to do it because that's what the doctor says. And you don't have a reason not Not to, to unless you've done the research, unless you can like prove it, you may have a gut feeling, but you just can't say, well, have a gut feeling that's sitting right. (laughs) So you ladies have touched on something. I want our listeners to, to really hold on to here. You, the listener, you, the parent, your gut instinct can now become the most powerful force for you to become more informed than that doctor sitting across from you. It doesn't take long. You, By the time you've watched this podcast and a few others and just go look at some of the charts we're gonna send you to, uh, you will be more informed than the doctor sitting in front of you. So then you just have to say, well, well, doctor, you know, here's the information I have uh, and uh, I'm, you're not giving me anything that makes me feel comfortable to give a hepatitis B vaccine to my newborn. We start there. Actually, moms who are listening, parents who are listening, this starts, even before pregnancy, you prepare the body, you prepare the womb to be a safe place for your baby. The last thing you should ever do while you're pregnant is take a vaccine. Okay. Because, you know, they'll say, oh, it's genetic because it happened in the womb. Well, not anymore. They're vaccinating in the womb. So they are causing harm in the womb. Then when that baby's born injured or having effects from that vaccine, they're going, oh, see, it's genetic. No, that... (laughs) You just have to do a toxic burden study of a pregnant mom or a, a man, but men don't carry babies. But you do a toxic burden study and you will know that even before vaccines, we are all toxic. We live in a highly toxic world. So you've got to do everything in your power to minimize the toxins that you're exposing your unborn child to. And then on day one of birth, welcome to the world. Here's your hepatitis B vaccine. And they don't give you informed consent. They just do it. 
They were known that it was for a sexually transmitted disease. Or was it was like if if I would have known that one fact, which I, shame on me for not right uh, knowing. Right. But it's not my job. As I mean, I guess maybe it is my job, but it could be the doctor's job. Well, hell, say, I even knew, and I still did it. Well, to say like, well, this is the hepatitis <laughs> vaccine. This is going to be. This is a sexually transmitted disease. Now, let me give it to your newborn just in case. I'd be like, yeah. uh, well, that doesn't make sense. No, I mean, it just it really doesn't. But can you tell people why? What, what did they, like, I, because I even just re-listened to um, Aaron's series deposition with Stanley Plotkin the other day about the hepatitis vaccine. And when you say that they only t look at it for a very short time, can you yeah. tell people a little like, bit more about that? Not only that it's just blood, blood, a bloodborne illness and sexually transmitted. Right. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so first of all, the, the most important thing that you just touched on, this is a vaccine for a virus, hepatitis B, that is transmitted by sex and IV drug use sharing dirty needles. Exchange of body fluids, blood, period. That is how you get hepatitis B, just like HIV. Now, there's no vaccine for HIV, but you don't mind your kid going to school and sitting next to another kid with HIV because guess what? They're not hopefully having sex, at least not when they're newborns or even infants. In fact, most of the kids I know aren't having sex in grade school either. And they're certainly not also sharing dirty needles. So the risk of hepatitis B starts in adolescence. We used to give that vaccine to adolescents. That made some sense. I mean, at least the timing made sense. Right. So in 2000 was when the big push was made across the USA to move that vaccine to infants. And the explanation we were given was lame. It was, well, you don't know that you can trust the birth mother. She might be lying to you about her drug use. Uh, and the other thing was OBGYNs at that time were already testing all moms for the presence of hepatitis B or antibodies against it. So I knew walking into that room that this mom is negative for hep B. There is zero risk to that baby. I mean, we're talking absolute zero. I never have to worry about missing it. Why would I inject? 250 micrograms of aluminum that's comes in that shot. The adult daily max is 50. The daily max is five per kilo. A, a newborn weighs maybe three kilos, you know, nine or 10 pounds. And so they should not have more than 15 or 20 micrograms of aluminum and you're injecting 250. So it's insane. Uh, Jack Lyons Wheeler and I published an article that showed what happens when you follow the CDC schedule versus the vaccine friendly plan for aluminum. And uh, I'll give you that link. It, 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 was, it was horrifying. If you follow the CDC schedule, you will spend 30 to 70% of your first seven months of life. We're talking every hour, every minute, every second for seven months, you will spend above the toxic level for aluminum if you follow the CDC schedule. It's insane. We already know that aluminum is causing autoimmunity. It's causing direct toxicity. It's absolutely Alzheimer's and dementia. Haven't they seen a direct link with yes. that? I know Dell yeah. somebody he lost his job too right. <laughs> because of talking about this. And and can you confirm too that I I didn't realize this that placebo when you're talking about the placebo and non no placebo trials, but even in the placebo, they have aluminum in it. They have uh, most of the time. Yes. And you they, don't know what's in the placebo. They're not required to tell you. Right. So it could be something different each time or, or in the placebo trials. Sometimes, you know, it's in the study design. Most of the time you do know, but um, not always. Right. And the thing is, though, they are not using saline placebos. They're either using an older vaccine. Uh, have you seen or heard about the book Turtles All the Way Down? Yes. Oh, I have the book. I have the okay. book. I haven't started there it, it is. Okay. <laughs> 
that is a really important read, uh, more important than the vaccine-friendly plan that you introduced at the beginning, which I will share with you, by the way. The vaccine-friendly plan is not friendly enough. I cannot state that more clearly. Here's why. So when we did that analysis of the aluminum content, which we'll share that link for you, uh, and you can go to doctorsandscience.com and all the links to my important studies and graphs are there. Um, but yeah, when, when I saw that data, it was like, okay, the vaccine-friendly plan is way safer than the CDC schedule. I mean, just on the aluminum alone, but three to 6% of infants are above toxic levels for seven months of their lives, even using the vaccine-friendly plan. That needs to be 0%. There is no reason we should intentionally inject something toxic to our babies developing brain and nervous system and immune system because it's toxic to, to neurons, it's toxic to your immune development. And so once I saw that, it was like, okay, no, the, the vaccine-friendly plan needs to be uh, a book you might give to somebody who wants to follow the CDC schedule and cannot wrap their head around doing nothing. Uh, it's at least it's better than the CDC schedule, but it's still way too toxic. Uh, when we get to the vaxxed unvaxxed data that I published, I'll, I'll fast forward maybe a little bit into my journey and get there. That data proved beyond a shadow of doubt that doing nothing is way better than following the vaccine-friendly plan or even, of course, the CDC schedule. And I just so, want to remind everyone too, Dr. Thomas, you are the author of the vaccine-friendly plan. So if you guys didn't catch that, he's talking about his own book that yes. he wrote. He's now saying because he has discovered more science. See, this is how it works, right? He's kept an open mind to follow the actual science. He's now saying the vaccine-friendly plan is not what he would personally recommend, but is instead for someone who wants to follow the CD schedule, but change it up a bit for a, perhaps a little safer approach. Okay, I had to put that out there, Dr. Thomas, because I didn't want anyone to miss that you wrote Thank the you. book. <laughs> and yes. also the fact that he administered vaccines. He, I mean, you were pro-vaccine before all well, of that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Initially, I was pro-CDC. And, and as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, I used to actually think to myself, well, who am I to question the CDC? I mean, the <gasps> best of the best, right? The best of the best must go to the CDC. I had no idea at that time. I'm going 20 years back ago. I now question everything that comes out of the CDC. Yes. Yes. Fact, I, if they say something, I know it's probably the opposite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Just purveyors <laughs> of lies, 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 and uh, it's all marketing. They have one agenda that's to sell more vaccines, period. They are a marketing arm for pharma. But I didn't know that at the time, and most people today still don't know that, right? So the CDC used to do some really good work, in, at least in um, researching diseases of the world. I mean, they used to put out an MMWR. They still do, actually. Uh, but they manipulate that so much these days. But it used to be you could go to that and go, oh, my gosh, this, this is what's happening with polio in the world, or this is what's happening. Um, anyway, so doctors got to thinking that the CDC was really smart. And, and we got hoodwinked. We really did. Uh, but let me fast forward my story. So uh, 2007, I see my fourth case of autism uh, in a kid who was normal. And I'm going, uh, it was like a snap. I can't do this anymore. So my partners basically said it was unethical not to follow the CDC schedule. And so uh, they showed me the door. Best thing that ever happened to me. It's interesting when, when, 
when you have things happen in your life that feel like it's the end of the world for you, uh, look for the other door that's going to open or the window because it's probably the best thing that ever happened to you. And, and that's, I feel that way even today after losing my license, um, just turned it in uh, December 5th. So just this last month. And, and that would feel like the end of the world for a physician because that's your livelihood. And yet I feel like, you know, the whole world's now open to me. I can talk to you lovely ladies and not worry about what the board's going to say. Right, I mean, right. We will not, yes. Take a fly and leap. Um, so I started, <laughs> I started integrative pediatrics, which was my practice until I sold it. I couldn't sell the practice, but I sold the entities, the important parts of the entity, the phone number, the patient lists. And uh, the team that was there has continued that practice on. So that's really heartwarming for me that the patients have not been abandoned. Uh, but at Integrated Pediatrics, I set it up with the model from my old clinic where we had this massive waiting room that was full of sick kids. I mean, that's when I used to see, you know, 40, 50 patients a day. And um, I thought, well, we should keep the sick and the well separated. So I created a two waiting room office, built it. Uh, the building was up. It's not my building, but I, I leased it and from gravel built the office space. We had sick and well clinics side by side with a glass wall between them and an aquarium. So the receptionist could see everybody coming in sick or well, but they're separated. I didn't want them mingling. And we did our best to keep them separate in the back part of the office as well. When I started, those two waiting rooms were equally full. But within a matter of five, six, seven, eight years, something very obvious happened and that was that our well child waiting room was packed and there was nobody in the sick side i mean in the height of winter sure there were some sick kids but it was palpable the difference so what was going on here clearly those who were it appeared to me that those who were vaccinating less seemed healthier i mean you saw it in families if you have more than one kid and your first kid is vaccine injured or vaccine affected and the as parents that's usually the first wake-up call and a parent will go, I'm not going to do any more of these vaccines for my next kids. And they get kicked out of their practices. So they end up finding a practice like mine where we honor true informed consent. You can do whatever you want. And so we got my practice shifted to more and more people not vaccinating. I got to see something that most pediatricians don't see because see, they kick those people out. Mm, so right. all they have are fully vaccinated patients who are extremely injured or affected by these vaccines, but they don't know that because that's all they see. That is their normal. So when I started seeing this, I'm thinking, this is something different. Well, the medical board started coming after me right after I wrote the vaccine friendly plan and they were just letter after letter trying to get something on me. It was basically fishing exp expeditions. January of 2019, they said, prove that the vaccine friendly plan is as safe as the CDC schedule. Yeah, <laughs> Holly, I like your response. Cause I'm that like, was how I'm like, all right, evidence. I will. Yeah, they asked for that study. So, so my mouth drops open. I'm going, this is ridiculous. How can I possibly prove it? And some smart colleague of mine said, why don't you just do a QA analysis? Look at all your data, see what you've got. Brilliant idea. So I hired an outside expert. He spent a week in my office and he, he's a real nerd. He's a pediatrician, neonatologist and informatics expert. I mean, the guy is just like nerdy, comes in with a suit and tie. I'm going, relax, dude. I'm in a Hawaiian shirt and I'm a doctor. <laughs> you're gonna sit in a you're gonna sit in a cubby over a computer. Why don't you just take your tie off at least? He couldn't do it. Anyway, oh my gosh. He, just, he says, Paul, I just follow the science. I hope you know this. I I I'm I'm not making a judgment on what we're gonna find here. I said, Great. 
that that's what I want. Right. First day, end of the day, he comes out of his little cubby. I put him in and he goes, Paul, you won't believe this. The data just, I know I'm not supposed to look at the data, but it just jumps out at you. He was like a kid in a candy store. I'm going, what are you talking about? He says, Paul, your unvaxxed kids don't get sick. So wow. he, it was, I mean, palpable. I'm not surprised, but right. <laughs> day one, so, day one, he could tell. So that data was published as what I call the, the largest real world vaxxed, unvaxxed study. And that was the one that you referred to that was retracted. So very interesting. It was a very rigorously peer reviewed study that I published with Jack Lyons Wheeler and a couple others who helped. And uh, they got that retracted based on one person's complaint and they didn't follow proper procedure. When you are already peer reviewed and published, if there's a complaint about the article, you send your complaint in to the publisher, they contact the authors and say, hey, there's this complaint, how do you wanna address it? We never got a chance to address it. They just, boom, yeah. the article was retracted. So that was very odd and uh, improper, obviously. But I'll tell you something kind of exciting. Um, first of all, I knew that was gonna happen, right? So the way the system silences the opposition, Andrew Wakefield was the first real example of this in my lifetime, as far as I know. There's actually, you go to the Urban Dictionary and look up Wakefielded. It's actually a word, and it is exactly what happened to him. If you go against the establishment, the establishment can pursue you, discredit you, take your license, and then you've been Wakefielded. So I knew full well when I wrote the vaccine-friendly plan that I was at risk for being Wakefielded. And right? can you tell them really quickly too, Dr. Thomas, what did Andrew Wakefield say again? And then what did they do to him? Because I know if people go and Google him right now, they're yeah, going to find see a bunch of lies. Lies, right. So tell them real quickly, like just for people who I know have never yeah. heard this before. Yeah, thank you. Andrew Wakefield is a true hero, okay? Mm -hmm. He was a pediatric gastroenterologist at a top teaching university in England. And he was seeing kids with gastrointestinal problems. That was, he was a pediatric GI doc. And he started getting more and more kids with autism and GI problems coming to him and asking for help. And he did, he devised this simple little case series where he had about 10 kids who were uh, not autistic, but had inflammatory bowel disease. So they had the same symptoms of diarrhea, abdominal pain, et cetera. And then the nine or 10 autistic kids with also diarrhea or constipation and you know, abdominal pain. And he did a study, okay? And he did biopsies and he discovered, lo and behold, I think all but one of the autistic kids, there was this weird new phenomenon that he described in his article. There was inflammation. And so he, he, he reported that. And in his conclusion, he made the statement, there may be a link. He had already been studying MMR and measles and mumps for a decade. I mean, he was very knowledgeable about this. And he simply made the statement, there might be a link between the MMR vaccine and autism. And he made the recommendation, why don't we split out the vaccines? Because there was back then a measles yeah. and a mumps and a rubella separate. Mm -hmm. When I read his article, that's what I started doing. Okay, I started separating out the MMR because... Why not? Just, you know, the precautionary principle. If there might be risk from something, why don't you do the least risky approach? Exactly. And that was the best I could do with that little bit of information that I had at the time. But they ended up pursuing him and persecuting him to this day. Okay. They ended up 10 years into it. They took his license. His senior uh, 
author on the article. So he was uh, not the top dog in that department. Uh, Dr. Walker was. Dr. Walker was also charged and going to lose his license, but he took them to court because he had insurance to cover himself and he won. So he was able to prove that actually all the allegations against uh, Wakefield and Walker were bogus. Oh, and it didn't that, stop Wakefield from losing his license. He still lost his license, okay? And that's actually so, the first time I've heard about that. I, I didn't, you know, so of course that's not going to be on mainstream. And and as I'm listening to this, isn't it interesting? One of the reasons I even wanted to separate vaccines and do a delayed schedule even for my kids was just common sense to me, same with food, when you're introducing it to babies, they want you to introduce one at a time. Right. Why yeah. are you going to give five at a time? Right. If there is a reaction, you have no idea what they're reacting to. So that was one of my reasons. And then the other, it's just overloading the immune system. This was even before I knew about the heavy metals and stuff in there. But, you know, you can't give peanuts. You can't give honey. Like, right. they're so focused on these little, these things. But then they're just like, oh, just throw this. We haven't even tested them together. We haven't yeah. even tested them for long. But just do it. It'll, it should be fine. So, right. all right. Sorry. <laughs> do it no, for ab else. Yeah, absolutely an excellent point. Um <laughs> Pediatricians, we were we were taught that I mean, people like Paul Offit. You probably heard that name. Oh, one yeah. of the big pro-vaccine people. He he made a fortune on rotavirus. Uh, he he's he he's uh, getting compensated very well from the vaccine industry. But uh, he made the statement once. I think you could take ten thousand vaccines at once, and it would be no problem. The body can handle that many antigens. But here was the thing. Okay, we know there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of different bacteria and viruses in the world, and we're constantly exposed to them. And our body does what? Handles it just fine. Our mm -hmm. natural immune system, the innate inborn natural immune system. Babies have a really good one, a robust natural immune system. We handle it fine. If you did more than one, actually that first vaccine you inject, hepatitis B, contains heavy amounts of aluminum, as we discussed. Now imagine at the two-month visit, we're going to add the DPT, the DTAP, also has way too much aluminum. The Prevnar also has way too much aluminum, the et cetera, right? There's six different vaccines given at two months. Mm. It's not the antigens. It's not the pertussis, the tetanus, and the diphtheria, or the, polio, the, the, the little piece of protein that represents a virus or bacteria. That's not the problem. The immune system can handle that. It's all the toxins that go along with the shot. And right. that's what people don't realize. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's we, adjuvants, right? It's the adjuvants adju they have to use with the vaccine to create that response. That is ultimately the problem. And so when you're talking about numbers of vaccines given, so for example, for maybe for me, maybe there was 12, right? I think for my parents, there was two to three. Yeah. Now, how many are on the schedule? 71, but that's before you add COVID. So it's, it's, it's getting crazy. Crazy. And that's why we could say, we could speculate. I'm going to say speculate for me. I just think we've seen an increase in autoimmune disease from like 19% to 49, 50%. I don't know. No, it's high. In the same time that we've seen this escalation in numbers given, you've seen a rise in autism from one in 10,000 to what's the latest, Dr. Thomas? What is oh, it? One in how many? Depends on the study, one in 35 or one in 45. I but think I just heard one in 40 or something like that. Yeah. That is, that's alarming. And the fact that nobody's going, why? And we know the scientists who have looked into it have admitted it has to be environmental because evolutionary wise, it could not happen that fast. Right? right. And so you see all these changes, uh, you know, cancers, uh, learning disabilities, 
And, and yet no one is saying what's going on. Speaking of too, and I want to point this out because I know these moms and dads listening need to know this. The SIDS rate in the United States, right? And, and when there are studies that have come out that show that SIDS happened within 48 hours, like a huge portion, like close to 70%, I think of those deaths were within 48 hours of the vaccine. And no one goes, hmm, maybe we should look into that. Infant mortality, for us to be such a developed country, what's our infant mortality rates like? Terrible. Terrible. We're number one. We're no. number one in industrial nations. And we're the most vaccinated in, yes. in, in, in early childhood. I mean, hello, you don't have to be a doctor. But correlation doesn't mean causation. Well, here's what I'm <laughs> going to tell people who spout that BS. Okay, <laughs> what I'm going to say to you is, you can pee on me and tell me it's raining, but that doesn't mean I have to believe you, okay? There's <laughs> no way. There's, I'm going to say, there is no way it's not connected. And so okay. can I prove personally how connected it is? No, that's why I rely on Dr. Thomas to come right. and say, here's what we actually saw. Okay, yeah. go ahead, Dr. Thomas. So, so thank you. Uh, thank you for bringing up correlation does not mean causation because that's what the other side, if you're listening and you are new to vaccines might be causing harm, uh, that might be something you would say and you would be right to say it, okay? Uh, there are more cars on the road. That doesn't mean more cars on the road is causing an increase in health problems like autism and neurodevelopment and autoimmune, these things we're talking about. Those two things are both going up together, but yes, they're correlated, but clearly they're not cause. It's not cause and effect. So how do you prove that something is causing something? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you need to have an understanding of a mechanism of action so you can explain why they're linked. And then you need repeated studies showing the same correlation so that now, okay, it's not just a fluke, you know, Dr. Thomas, okay, let me just put it this way. Before I did my data, there was already a study out by Mawson. You've probably heard of the Mawson study. It was a, a questionnaire that showed a massive increase in neurodevelopmental and allergies in the vaccinated when compared to unvaccinated. So it was kind of like the first vaccine unvaccinated study that was done. And I usually show that data. There also have been a couple studies done by um, uh, Miller and um, Brian Hooker. Okay, so they've also done a couple little studies that show the same sort of thing. Increased neurodevelopmental issues in the vaccinated when compared to the unvaxxed. But we didn't have a big real world data till my data was published. So thank you, Oregon Medical Board, for asking me to get you this information. <laughs> and uh, it's unfortunate that you didn't take it seriously and you thought it was better just to take my license but oh well uh the world now knows okay yeah. this as the guy that got the data for me said he says paul it doesn't matter what they do if they try to take your license away or whatever this was pre them taking my license he said this is the most powerful data the world has ever had okay it really is and yeah and so we we did interrupt you so can you go on with how, how we said day one this is how we do we regress when you said the data nerd which we're so thankful for him um yeah. he can keep his tie on all day long right if he finds <laughs> stuff out so you know, what exactly did they find because those slides i told i was telling them before that like i specifically remember hearing you talk about this and seeing even the visual which of course we will include when you see the visual i mean like any mom i don't know how sees, you cannot see those charts yeah. Undeniable. Mm -hmm. You can't so, not know that mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah. So the visual, those of you who are going to look at these charts, you're going to see the orange line starting from day one. So we look, well, here's what we looked at. 
It was very pure study. I said, look at every single baby born into my practice, not who transferred in because they had other things happen at other clinics, just born into my practice. And let's look at every single health outcome, period. Yeah. No exclusions. So most studies that want to manipulate outcomes will, we're going to exclude these people for this reason. We're going to exclude that. No, no exclusions. Simply every single person born into my practice, over 3,000 some babies who were born over those 10 and a half years. And we had, I don't have the data in front of me, 500 and some unvaccinated. This is what they all look like. There you go. <laughs> that line up top is orange and that line below is blue. <laughs> Blue are the unvaxxed, <laughs> you got it. Every single thing we Every looked at <laughs> looked exactly like that. Yeah, I'm not at home where I would show you the whole graph. Um, but, I've got them, but it's gonna be too small to show on here. <laughs> so, so the point was over time, the more vaccines you took, the worse health outcomes you had. And we looked at things like neurodevelopment, things like ADD, ADHD. I mean, ADHD one was shocking. There was zero for anybody up till age four. And that's true. We don't diagnose it until you're four or five or six mm -hmm. or older. But then the, the line just took straight up for those who are vaccinated and it remained zero, zero folks for the unvaxxed. Now, over time, I'm sure some of those zeros out, some of those 500 and some kids will probably have ADHD, but it was so insignificant in the unvaccinated population that it didn't register even a single case in my data set. And this was true for infections. And, and that one was like, I had to even just smile about that. So wait a minute, the more vaccines you get, you're telling me the more infections you have, that, that doesn't make sense. I thought we took vaccines to decrease infections. Mm -hmm. Well, what actually happens is when you over vaccinate, um, you are tricking the immune system. We've seen this with COVID, we can go there before we're done but you're tricking the immune system to target just one thing. So if it's pertussis, you're looking at a certain type of the pertussis organism. Over time, the organisms mutate. They, it's, it's natural selection. If the vaccine's gonna make it impossible for me to replicate, I'm gonna change myself so that I can replicate and get around the problem of this vaccine. And that's happened for so many different things. Pertussis is a classic example. If you're vaccinated for whooping cough, you're actually more likely to get whooping cough, actually, and you can still transmit it. It doesn't stop transmission. Same issue we had with COVID. But anyway, the highly vaccinated get sick from everything else. So perhaps if I've had a, a DPT, diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, I'm going to have slightly less diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis, but I have so much more of everything else. And right. that's been what we have found with this study. Way more ear infections, eye infections, sinus infections, lung infections. It really didn't matter what we looked at. There was a lot more in the highly vaccinated. So overall health was very compromised the more vaccinated you were. And this fits exactly what I was seeing in my practice. I wasn't surprised one bit that the data came out the way it did. But until you have the data, you're just guessing. Okay. But even when you have the data and present it, what happened? So they just didn't believe you? Yeah. And then they're like, oh, well, we're going to go after his medical license. Since so he you guys, just, he I'm asked sure you guys do. heard, this data was so powerful. I'm sure you heard it all over the news, right? CNN and ABC. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you don't. It's, it's mums the word. Right. This is censorship. This is how the establishment keeps people in the dark. And it shows like, just think this show of yours, that's trying to break through to people and say, look, folks, 
you're not here hearing the full story. Right now, member causation doesn't um, association doesn't mean causation. What? No, say it right. Fool me once. Correlation. Twice. Correlation. Correlation. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm human. Uh, <laughs> so, so my study by itself isn't enough. Here's the good news. There are several more now. There's a study I would have your people go to. It's called the control group. Uh, I think it's controlgroup.com or .org, one of those two. And you will find they did a massive study comparing vaxxed to unvaxxed. Very interesting. Only one quarter of 1% of the United States is unvaxxed, completely unvaxxed. One quarter of 1%. That's the control group. Now, I want to have you, the listener, understand something else. Every single vaccine we're talking about here, because my data is all about the childhood vaccine schedule. It's not, it didn't deal with COVID. This was pre-COVID data. All of that combined, all these vaccines that we've been giving for the last 30 years are a tiny little fraction of the damage being caused by the COVID jabs. Mm. A tiny little fraction. Okay. So there's a new control group. I want to encourage you, the listener, to make sure you stay in that control group. Yes. And that is this. You have not yet gotten a COVID jab. Don't get it. Okay. Amen. That makes you the new control group. Okay. Most of us, I was very vaccinated. Uh, I see you guys nodding your heads. You probably all had vaccines. Yeah. yeah. And we, we did what we thought was best. When you know better, you do better, as you said at the beginning there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we now know better. There is no question that the harm caused by this COVID gene therapy, it's not even therapy, it's just a gene-altering shot. Something. It is, it's insanity. Insanity. That, that mRNA technology is introducing into your body through this injection code that can be put into your actual DNA. We, we know this is happening in some instances, but the real evil of it all to me is that it's tricking the body into making the, pro, the protein, spike protein, that's the actual toxin. Yes. You're, you're causing your body to, to poison itself. Yep. And I mean, the theory behind it, if you're not thinking clearly, uh, and who was in the beginning, we didn't know what we were dealing with, is, well, your body will make all these antibodies and then it'll shut down, the, the spike protein will stimulate the antibodies so that your body will shut it down. Therefore, when another round of coronavirus shows up, you'll be able to fight it. Well, the data's in, that doesn't work. Uh, the, the, the extent of injuries is so phenomenal, I don't even need to go there, but I just wanted to implore upon you, the listener, if you haven't yet had this jab, please, please, please don't get it. This shot should have been pulled from the market within a few months of it being introduced. It was clearly the most dangerous product we've ever put on the world population, but they persist even till today. And what's what's so crazy too, Dr. Thomas, and maybe you can just add to this, is the medical profession not recognizing this as a whole, speaking out against it, keeping the the oath of for do no, do, you know, do no, first do no harm. And I just saw a tweet from um, Sol Nada MD, is Dr. Natalia. This is what she said. I will never regret the vaccine. Even if it turns out I injected actual poison, which is what you said just now, she did, and have only days to live, my heart is and was in the right place. I got vaccinated. This is a medical doctor. I got vaccinated out of love while anti-vaxxers did everything out of hate. If I have to die because of my love for the world, then so be it. But I will never regret or apologize for it. 
Mm. How does someone get there? <laughs> that, that, that's such double speak. And honestly, it's it, what you have to do as a doctor. Yeah, what you have to do today as a doctor is figure out um, am I willing to sacrifice my career? Because mm. it really it comes right down to that. Okay. And the problem I think for most doctors is they're not willing to sacrifice their career. It's too scary. I mean, I'll confess when I wrote the vaccine friendly plan, my kids were almost out of, well, they, I still had three in the house, but um, they all but one should have been out of the house. <laughs> uh, I have a lot of boys. I have five, five boys and four girls. Some, most of them adopted, but um, this failure to launch thing is real for boys, <laughs> well, especially, especially if they're highly vaccinated. Okay. Yes. I, I would tease my boys. I'm sorry, but your brain damage is my fault. Um, you know, it's really, really hard to, to do well in the world when you can't focus, when you can't stay organized, uh, when you can't retain information. Uh, it, it's tough out there, but, but back to the medical doctors. So I'm in this position, I'm writing this book and I'm going, this could be the end of my career. And my mom even said to my co-author, my co-author is Jennifer Margulis, she's a brilliant woman. Yes, uh, yes. And she met my mom. And so my mom goes right to the point with her, says, you know what? You just put my son's head on a platter. That's what she told her. Yeah. And, and well, you know, yeah. we chuckled about it, but in, in, the, in a sense, we knew that was true. Mm. I poked the bear, right? To, to say that the CDC is, is, is a, an inferior uh, plan uh, is to poke the bear. I mean, yeah. you know, you're threatening a multi-billion, soon to be trillion dollar industry. Um, and so, but back to self-preservation, you know, this woman who, who, who will die on the fact that she did the right thing out of love, uh, I call bullshit. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry, but that's... Mm -hmm. That's self-preservation. And the, the truth of the matter is you are risking your license if you speak out. You are risking your license. Doctors who wrote for ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, a lot of them have lost their licenses. Doctors who wrote for medical exemptions for vaccines, a lot of them have lost their licenses. There is a National Federation of Medical Boards that I did not know existed until a couple years ago that's been in place since uh, Rockefeller times. This board oversees the medical boards who oversee the doctors. They sent out, and I remember reading this document a couple years ago, they sent out a document to the Board of Pediatrics, Internal Medicine, Family Medicine, that basically said, if you spread in misinformation or disinformation, you should take their license. You should, they, doctors are risking their license if they spread misinformation. The problem with those terms is misinformation as defined by who? Exactly. Right? So... You guys started the show by saying we're about the science and science changes. As we get more information, it yes. changes. Or you could even say the truth because there are only a few solid truths. I mean, you know, gravity. I don't know. There's a few scientific <laughs> principles that you can say, okay, I can go to the bank with this one. If I drop yeah. this, pen, it's going to go to the ground. Right. Right. It's not going to fall upwards. But most of what we call science is just a process. Right. Mm -hmm. And we refine it and we get better and better, not more and more knowledgeable. So this fact that that uh, the science is settled, that they try to use on vaccines, there's nothing more insane than that under the good green earth. 
Right. right. Well, they say it's settled, but then they say it changes because their narrative changes, you know, <laughs> because like like masks and, and they say that they went by science, but then they say that it's the speed of science and they had to do it at risk. I mean, so they have people fully admitting all of this and they say, oh, it went through all of the trials. I'm like, you just said that they didn't. So uh, who is so who is spreading misinformation? You know, we just shared that Dr. Ja had said there's no study about masks that say they're effective yet. We have Walensky and these other people saying, you've got to wear a mask. Or there was somebody on recently on MSNBC, another doctor saying, the only way to really prevent transmission is one of these. And he holds up an N95 mask. And then what else? He did say the air filtration yeah. system, which I agree with that. But it, what you can agree or disagree. But the whole point is be informed and make your own decision. Don't just assume the public is stupid. But honestly, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the that's thing. The majority. They're just not stupid. They're just, they're not, just not thinking informed. and they're, they're not thinking. informed. I mean, I, don't look. I was that stupid person at one point in my life. I think we but, all are. Amy, I mean, don't you think though, it's because of our culture has created this, um, this system where the doctors are right. Like, what did your doctor say? Did you go to the doctor? You know, it's follow the doctor's orders. It's this, it's this psychological belief that we've inherited, right? Mm -hmm. That says, the doctor's right and don't question. And then we, if we do question and I've had, I've shared these experiences on the podcast and the doctor comes back at you like you're the moron and why did you Google, right? It's like, that tells you something's wrong. If you, if you are not willing to be questioned, you should, then we should not trust you. Because yep. someone that's confident in their analysis has no problem, no problem being questioned because they're happy to help someone understand and draw the same conclusions. And so- what I want to, to focus on right now um, is how you were treated once this came out, because um, I, I know this has been a long process for you too. I mean, they came after you right away with the book, but like you said, it was just settled in December that you were no longer going to be practicing as a physician. So tell us what, what did they say you did <laughs> and then what, what happened next? Okay. Well, there's a book out, uh, The War Against Informed Consent by Jeremy Hammond. He outlines very nicely uh, what happened when they went after my license. Ooh, so basically, okay. five days after my landmark article was published, that big vax unvax study we were talking about, five days after that was available online, I get a call from my attorney. You are no longer licensed in the state of Oregon. They had an emergency meeting and emergently suspended your license. Wow. They filed in a hurry a large document that then Jeremy interviewed me for a long time and then wrote that. I thought he was going to write an article. It ended up being a book. book. Uh, he basically did the work for my attorneys. I mean, he shredded every single complaint they made. But just to give you an illustration of the malice that they had, one of their complaints was that I caused a child to almost die from tetanus. And everybody knows that tetanus is a vaccine preventable disease. Well, here's the real story about that case. This kid was living on a farm, rural Oregon, over an hour away from where I practiced. I did not know this family, never heard of them. He cut his head in the barn. The family cleaned it out and sewed it up best they knew how. They didn't go to doctors. They didn't go to, you know, they were, these are really, you know, just living off the grid people. He got tetanus. Okay, which it started to paralyze him. So he ends up in the major teaching hospital in our town. He was in the intensive care for almost four months. Before he would be released, they, they were unable to get this family to agree to vaccinate him. He was a completely unvaccinated kid. 
even in despite having had tetanus and all of their infectious disease experts and doctors hammering them for four months, the family would not let them vaccinate their kid. It's time for him to go home. He's thankfully survived it. He was walking very awkwardly from his tetanus. I mean, a lot of damage. Uh, I get a call, my office gets a call and my front desk comes to me, Doc Thomas, what do we do? There's this kid up at OHSU who has tetanus and they won't let him out of the hospital unless he sees a doctor. He has to have follow-up. So I saw him for the first time as he left the hospital, came to my office and then went back to his farm an hour away. I caused his tetanus the way it was written up. Oh my gosh. That's what was in the press. That's this flaky doctor out in Oregon. So that's just one example. They had about, oh, I don't know, 15 or 18 of them. And they were all manufactured nonsense. Do you think we should get the tetanus shot, Dr. Thomas? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I got to ask. You know, I got to ask. Because I I did, okay, just real quick, had a little situation. My husband goes to the ER five, no less than five times he's asked if he's had his tetanus shot. I'm on the phone saying, if you have to lie, lie. I mean, I'm not, I don't believe in lying because he told them no the first few times. And I finally am like, they may not stop asking you. You can just say, sure, I got it, whatever. Because you did get it. Here's the thing. What I knew about the tetanus shot is I thought you would need two weeks to build antibodies to the shot. He's already infected if he's got it, but he bled out. I was like, do not get the tetanus shot. I think my husband thought I was trying to kill him, but but he now knows. He now knows I wasn't. I was trying to help him because he was going to be given the DTAP anyway. Pretty sure they don't give tetanus here by itself anymore. It's a DTAP shot. So anyway, that was just my personal, from just my own reading, I literally don't know anything i just yeah. read so, so tell me what you think so i i won't give medical advice because i'm not licensed anymore of course right. i'm just giving just your personal opinion yeah yeah just information yeah. um you are right in that if you have a dirty wound and anybody can go look this up if you have a dirty wound that's high risk for tetanus and you are unvaccinated or inadequately vaccinated they would recommend two things actually the tetanus shot and tetanus toxoid Okay, because you're right. The tetanus shot won't build enough protection in time to protect you for that particular injury. They're giving you the tetanus shot so they can boost you later so that you would potentially have protection down the road. That's what that's about. But it's the tetanus toxoid that, like this kid that I had, for example, had he gone to the ER right away, because it was a really bad injury. I mean, his scalp injury was, you know, half the length of his head and was very deep and a dirty wound, impossible to clean it up in a horse barn. Had he gone to the ER and gotten the tetanus toxoid and they would have done the shot as well, and I think the tetanus toxoid is a series of shots, uh, he probably would have been fine. Okay. So yes, it can be managed. And, that, and there are also antibiotic treatments as well. It is an infection. It's a, it's a, it's a tough one. It's an anaerobic infection, meaning it, it thrives when there's no oxygen, which is why you don't want to close a dirty close wound. Close it up. That's you right. Leave the dirty wound open. So yeah, a lot of things went wrong with that particular case. In your husband's case, I don't know how dirty the wound was. It, it might have been. Yeah, it was I mean, the ladder. Most... Ladder fell on his leg, sliced yeah. it, and I was like, "You're fine." It's slightly <laughs> dirty. Ladder ladders aren't exactly sterile. One thing anyway. I learned was the solution to pollution is dilution. They, that's what I learned. My friend, they went to some of my friends went to a wilderness medicine class, and I love that because it's true. Like just clean it if you can, but obviously that kind of wound would be yeah. really difficult. So I know you're getting near the end of your show, probably. I, I want to wrap it up for your viewers and say a couple things. First of all, remember you're in charge. We've reached a point in time in our history in medicine 
that the medical system, traditional doctors, MDs, if you will, it's broken and mm -hmm. I, it's not fixable. It is so broken, it's not fixable. So you're gonna have to fire your doctor if they're not willing to have a dialogue with you and really open up about what they know and don't know, then get rid of them. It's, yes. it's time to take your health into your own control. Yes. I mean, sure, you'll go to an ER if you need stitches or if you have appendicitis, you need surgery, you'll seek medical care. But it's time to take your health into your own hands. Uh, there is so much we can do to be healthy and it's all lifestyle stuff. Number one, avoid toxins, 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 mm -hmm. right? In every form, what you eat, what you drink, what you put in your body, for sure what you're injecting, which means stop injecting because it's got toxins, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we've got the data now. The unvaxxed are doing so incredibly well. Is there a risk to not vaccinating? Sure there is, okay? Are you willing to take that risk compared to the risk of vaccinating? Now, if you just go to the COVID jab that they're rolling out, have rolled out and are persisting and trying to get people to do it, it's so clear now, folks. The harm is so much greater from the shot than it is from the illness. So that's a no-brainer. Make your own decision. And if your doctor can't see that, it's time to get a new doctor. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. Wanna, yeah, we want to ask more. Yeah, uh, before we go, while we have you. Mm -hmm. So for, for those of us moms, because I know we have a lot of moms that listen to this podcast and a lot of in, in our age range peer group. So we we have kids and we did vaccinate them. You know, like you said, your son, the failure, the failure to launch and the, mm -hmm. you know, sorry, we did this to you. Like, these are the feelings I'm having because I have a 14 year old who, you know, has, <laughs> is probably going to have the failure to launch syndrome. <laughs> but um, what can we do now? Like we feel, you know, we lay awake at night, like, Damn yeah. it. And this kind of you can know? segue into what are you doing now? Because yes. it's like more about the health and wellness. What can we do to like reverse, can we reverse it like, or, or make it better? To not have to regret. I mean, we regret what we did. Mm -hmm. We want to move forward, but we want to help our children the best we can. Yes. Perfect. So remember my study that was retracted. Russell Blaylocks and my co-author, Jack Lyons Wheeler, reworked the data to address the question that was asked by the person who had it retracted, which was, oh, those unvaxxed people don't seek health care. Well, they published an article proving that that's not true. My mm -hmm. unvaxxed patients sought healthcare even more. But they looked at one other thing that answers your question. They said, what happens to parents who stop vaccinating and, and those kids compared to those who continue vaccinating? And we're talking vaccine-friendly plan. I mean, these are informed parents who are trying to do the best they could. But some of them at some point noticed an injury or a, an effect that they weren't happy with, and they decided to stop. Guess what? The health outcomes were double, twice as good for those who stopped vaccinating. Or you were a lot less healthy if you continued to vaccinate, albeit on a slow schedule. Number one thing you do if you want to stop the harm is stop vaccinating. Right. Stop. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now, number two, can you detox? Absolutely. I mean, there are things you do to promote detox pathways, and there are so many sources for that kind of information. I mean, people need vitamin D. You can use N-acetylcysteine. You can, I mean, there, there's a long list of things you can do and you should do. Absolutely. We don't have time for that. And then if you're struggling with a health issue, one of the things that's passionate, Dee Dee Hoover and I are passionate about, is giving you some way to, to, to work through that with health. So yes. Kids First Forever, kidsfirstforever.com, we are going to offer counseling, coaching, sorry, not counseling. Um, <laughs> coaching, got to use the right I, word, Dr. Thomas. I, I come from like, a background of, <laughs> I, I still like foot in mouth, you know, it's so funny. We doctors, we just, we're, we're so programmed to be like whatever, yes. um, but no, I, I can be informative. I can teach, I can educate, I can coach. And um, so we have a resource there. If you're, whether you're struggling from anxiety, depression, mood stuff, developmental issues, or you've got questions about vaccines, 
uh, we can help with that as well. But just so they can keep- reach out to you there on the kidsfirstforever.com. And it's the number four, right? Yeah, the number four. Yeah. Info at kidsfirstforever.com will, will be the email. Okay. And then um, we're going to be developing that site. That's our project for this year. And so it's it's in its infancy, but that's that's the direction I'm going as far as being able to actually hands-on help folks. But then the other thing is just doing what you're doing. I have a show, Against the Wind. We're now going with the wind. We've decided for 2023. You know, when you're against the wind, everything's slow, right? You're battering up against something. We're going to just pivot like a, like a sailor like and trim the sails and the wind's going to be blowing behind us. So it's with the wind, science revealed. We're going to go leading forward with love and um, it's going to be an exciting time. It really is. Once you wake up to what was going on and you're willing to say, you know what? No more. I, yes. I'm going to take charge of my life, my family's life, my kid's life. And um while it might feel scary if you turn on the news, well, just turn it off because it's all garbage. Yes, that's right. I think that is so important, Dr. Thomas, how we have to just, when you step into the reality, I am in charge of my own health and my children's own health and our lives. And you stop giving that away, giving that power control away. It is liberating. And to yep. stop feeling fearful that if you're not going for well visits, your kids are going to die. You know, um, I know that we've got to wrap it up, but well, visits are kind of set up, are they not, for them to get the vaccines? I mean, it's really Absolutely. a well visit is not a well visit. It's a vaccine visit. Right. And so <laughs> I, I think that, you know, if we can empower people to understand, step out of the matrix. Right. And just realize you're in charge. It's OK. That's the way it's, it's meant for you to be in charge. And you can stop being fearful because I think that fear has held all of us parents captive. And it's the fear that we don't know but we don't feel good about this. So then what do we do? So I love that your approach is, obviously guys, you can read the vaccine friendly plan if you're just trying to wean off of them. But if you are like, I'm done, like Chris and Amy and I are, and we have no problem telling you that now. Um, <laughs> listen, if you're, you're in good company, there's a lot of us that say risk benefit. And I have a brain and I can look through the risks and I can look through the benefits. So my Last question to you, Dr. Thomas, because I think this is an important one. The, the, the lies that are used against us who don't want to buy in anymore is that we're going to bring back the spread of all these diseases that killed all these people. I don't even think we vaccinate for smallpox anymore. And I think that was one of the most deadly diseases ever. We don't even vaccinate for that anymore. But let's say the measles, let mumps, rubella, any of these. Can you really quickly tell the audience if you haven't vaccinated and your child gets it and God forbid spreads it, what yep. would happen today in 2023? Right. So measles is the best one they have to use because there is a fatality rate with measles. It's not nearly what they say it is. So they will always quote you one in a thousand. That's, that's data from malnourished folks in parts of the world that, where they don't have healthcare or good nutrition. The real death rate from measles is probably between one in 10,000 and one in 100,000. That's not zero, folks. So you have to be willing to take that risk. Uh, but people take the risk every day when they go in for anesthesia. The risk of dying from anesthesia, I think, is one in 10 to one in 40,000. The risk of dying from measles is less than that if you are getting proper nutrition. Um, I had measles as a kid. Uh, most of my friends had measles as a kid. I write in my book a story of a, a friend of mine who died of measles. So, yes, it can happen. He was an African kid who was malnourished, who was a friend of mine. And I'm sure had he had enough vitamin A, he'd have been fine. Wow. But, we did it. So, you know, yes, that can happen. With virtually every other disease, the risks are minuscule compared to that. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, so it is risk benefit, but when you see the devastation that's happening to our kids' immune systems, their neurological, their developmental systems, their brains from all of this massive onslaught with vaccines, um, to me, it's a no brainer. Like, like the three of you have figured out, uh, I'll take my risks of measles. I mean, go watch the old Brady Bunch on measles. I mean, they, they weren't afraid of it. They were happy. They got a, a three days or four days off of school. I mean, <laughs> like the chicken and like the yeah, chicken pox. My, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a little worse than chicken pox, but really not, not much for most people. If you, you know, if you boost your natural immunity with proper nutrition and minimize toxins, you'll do absolutely fine with all of these infections. Seriously, mm-hmm. you will. If you don't get the tetanus vaccine ever and you are in a horse barn and you get a really dirty wound, yeah, maybe you go in and get that taken care of properly, okay? But prospectively, doing nothing, in my opinion, based on the data I have, is probably a really sound scientific decision. Isn't nothing, it interesting? Nothing is zero risk. Nothing. Nothing. Exactly. So, I mean, either way, you are going to have whatever you could, you know, walk into your car. Everything has risk. Not getting vaccinated has risk. Getting vaccinated has risks. Choose your risks. Right. I mean, that's right. just what it boils down to. Right. That's it. Exactly. And to, to recognize that we're not going to create an insulated world where there is no no harm, right? Mm-hmm. Harm harm can happen, unfortunately, at any time. We saw this last night on the football game, right? Okay. Um, we'll, we'll we'll talk more about that later. We got some <laughs> ideas about that, but but I mean, truly, this this young twenty four year old male it makes a tackle and drops literally drops dead without a heartbeat. Well, thankfully they revived him on the field, but I think it just is a reminder to all of us. We don't know. We just, we we do know one thing about his death though. He died of ABV, anything but vaccines. (laughs) (laughs) That is like, yes. Yeah. We all knew those of us who were like, "Mm, was his heart inflamed? Was it, you know, when we, those of us who know enough to start asking questions, knowing that the NFL heavily pressured their um, their 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 entire staff and all the players to be vaccinated. You know, of course, we wondered. Well, was he more susceptible? You know, we know there's um, inflammation in the heart a lot of times, and they have no clue because there's no symptoms. And we we all of us went there. But of course, we also were waiting for more information to publicly sure. make any statements about it. But I think for people who think, I mean, I literally saw someone comment on Facebook. What do you mean? What's the vaccine have to do with him dropping dead on the and and you're like, where is your head then? Like, have you been in the sand? Are you an ostrich? So, like, it's just like the sand. So, so what they're lacking is the mechanism. Remember, uh, we need to have a mechanism. Peter McCullough outlined it already. Yeah. So when you have a heart that's compromised, be it from myocarditis or cardiomyopathy or inflammation, and then you get an adrenaline rush, that's been shown. That two things together can be fatal. And I think this is why we're seeing these images of healthy young athletes at their prime. And we're talking professional. I'm actually literally surprised there haven't been more of these cases. Yes. With with football, basketball, you name it, all our pro sports people, we've seen some of it in soccer. Um, And yeah, it's, it's tragic. It's, it's a big, big warning sign for anybody that's paying attention. Like you said, take your head out of the sand and notice something has changed. And Remember iatrogenic, meaning caused by the medical community. Mm-hmm. Something we are doing is causing this obvious, massive amount of sudden adult death syndrome. You talked about SIDS. You're absolutely right. 97% of SIDS happens 10 days after a vaccine. 97%. Wow. So right there, you've got your causation nailed. 
All right, mm -hmm. well, now we've got SADS, sudden adult death syndrome. And what changed? What changed mm -hmm. in the last two years? We exactly. introduced a deadly, deadly shot. That's right. And there's, there's really, you know, it's just a matter now of how, how big of a body count do we need before we pull this insanity off the market? That's Amen. right. And, and Dr. Thomas, I love your story and how you've been directed into a whole new place that's not about treating illness anymore, but about preventing it. I mean, ultimately, that's really your story is, um, and I love your heart, that your goal was always to protect your patients and, and to give them the best possible outcomes. I'm so excited for your new website and what you and Dee Dee are doing. We want to have you both back on to talk about it as it unfolds this year, because yes. we are about prevention and, yes. and to empower people with knowledge of prevention. So you're not having to ever even think about trips to the to, to the doctor, right? It's it's living in wellness. And I just want to thank you for you didn't let this what they've done to you defeat you. You're continuing to use your voice. I love that now your voice is uninhibited completely. So, that exactly. now, you can, so now you can say, actually, I think this needs to be improved. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think we can rewrite That's this new out. book. Yeah. Yeah. Several people think that needs to be thrown into the trash can. Um, <laughs> it still has a purpose for those of you who want to follow the CDC schedule. Right. We, it's, it's science. And, and right. we have so much more science now. Uh, but thank you for having me on the show. You, oh, you thank you. You're amazing. We, you are amazing. We thank can't you. wait to see what happens, you know, to you on your journey for the next year or two. So we'll be yes. watching and listening. Thank you so much, Dr. Thomas. Yes. My pleasure. <laughs>